Welcome to the Keep Idaho Red Radio Show, where you'll hear from national, statewide, and local Republican leaders about the issues that are most important to Idahoans today. Now, please welcome Tom Luna and Vic Miller. Good morning, and welcome to Keep Idaho Red Radio. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Saturday. We've actually had a little snow this week, Tom. It's kind of nice. And uh, we're going to start our show with someone we just love to have on our show. Uh, his name is Brent Crane, Representative Brent Crane. He's in District 13. He's in seat A. He's in his ninth term, Tom, and believe it or not, he's number two in seniority in the House here in Idaho. He's the chairman of the State Affairs Committee. He's also in the Business Committee as well. And so we're just going to have a, a nice conversation with him. And uh, thank you for joining us on uh, Keep Idaho Red Radio, Representative Brent Crane. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Vic. Always a pleasure to be on your show. Hey, let's start with uh, voting. You have, you have had a lot of issues come before your committee pertaining to voting. So maybe let's break some things down. So one one thing that came through your committee is talking about affidavits. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are you doing with that topic? Uh, so Representative Joe Alfieri, freshman legislator from the Coeur d'Alene area, has been kind of leading the charge on a lot of the election reform legislation this year. Uh, brought legislation that dealt with uh, removal of the affidavit, as well as Representative Tina Lambert. Um, Representative Lambert ultimately decided to remove it from her bill and just focus her bill uh, primarily on student IDs and the removal of student IDs and that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's we're, we're moving in a direction where people are concerned about what is happening and... And um, so there's a lot of laws that are coming forward with regards to election le- legislation. So just remind people, what is an affidavit? What, what does that mean? You go to the poll and you do what? Certainly. So if, you're, if you go to the poll and you do not have photo ID, mm-hmm. you can sign an affidavit that you are Victor Miller and that you do live at this a- address. And uh, when you sign it, if, if you are found uh, guilty of perjury, essentially, of false, falsifying a document, it's a felony. And that's what the bill would be. Right. And so what these individuals are saying is, look, if they can't bring their photo ID and prove who they are, they shouldn't be voting in the first place. And so that's what has caused this legislation to come forward. So would that remove the ability for people to use affidavits as a proper form of ID, or is it just increase the penalty should you not correctly identify yourself through an affidavit? The legislation that came forward actually removed the affidavit process. Okay. Now, does that mean that that's where we're going to end up? No, it doesn't mean that that's it. Like I said, Representative Lambert, um, she ended up taking it out of her bill. She was dealing with uh, student IDs and then also took the affidavit as, out as well. When she redrafted her bill and brought it back, she's like, hey, I, I removed the affidavits this time. I just want to focus on student IDs. And so you know, that's how this process works. Um, will an, an, a bill that removes affidavits actually make it through the process? I don't know. I have no idea. So let's talk about uh, student IDs. So what is the issue? with student IDs, and what would the legislature like to do about that? Well, currently, uh, the concern that that legislators have with regards to student IDs is, uh, let's say that a student is here from Oregon. Uh, They're attending Boise State University or University of Idaho, um, and and they want to vote in Idaho's elections. They can use their Boise State University student ID or their U of I student ID. Okay. But their residency... It might be in California or Oregon or wherever, right? Exactly. And Mm -hmm. so we're saying, no, you're not going to be able to use student IDs. Also, um, it was interesting. The testimony of students in the committee would bring these student ID cards. It's nothing more than a basic prox card that you can order online. Uh, In my business, we sell them for about $5 a piece, and you can print on it whatever you want. 
And so the ability for these to be secure, they're not secure. Um, and so we're like, uh, you know, there's a different path forward. So what's happened? Um, we have Representative Lambert's bill that's in the Senate. They're going to take it up tomorrow. Well, it'll be Friday, actually, when they take it up. So by the time this show airs, it will it should be out of committee. That actually removes the student ID as a form that you, a form of ID that you can use to vote. Then Representative Mitchell is bringing legislation forward in conjunction with the Secretary of State that says they, they can apply for a state issued ID. So we know that it's a legitimate ID and that there's no issues with regards to that. And also, we're going to pay for the ID. So that that was one of the issues that students brought up as well. You know, we can go down and get a state issued ID card, but it costs us ten dollars. We said, look, fine. We don't want to make it a financial burden on you. We'll help you provide. One, but we know that you are who you say you are. Any other issues on voting that are coming before the State Affairs Committee that we didn't cover that people oh, should know or that yeah. are coming? Yeah, um, there is a bevy of issues that are coming forward. Uh, we've dealt with the bond and levy election dates, the March and August dates. That bill passed the, the removal of those dates. That passed the House of Representatives. In the Senate, it looks like they're going to amend the bill and only remove the August date. So, so Representative uh, Crane, thanks for joining us here on Keep Idaho Red Radio. Um, a, a little bit more deeper uh, conversation about the uh, the, the reason and uh, the desire to consolidate these um, bond and school elections. Talk a little bit more about what you hear from constituents. Um, they are odd times to vote. Most people aren't ready for that and oftentimes forget or not engaged. Uh, certainly they are. And what's happening is, is people, especially in my neck of the woods, are concerned about their property taxes going up. Well, bonds and levy have a direct effect on their property taxes. So the the cities and, and school districts oftentimes are running those in what we call the off uh, date, which is, you know, the March date, or they're running them in August. Um, we feel like they should be run with the May election and with the November election. You get the greatest turnout. You don't ever have to worry about turnout. Give the most people weighing in, and if that bond really is important to that, that jurisdiction, then they're going to pass it. And if it's not, then they're going to reject it. Um, I think the compromise position is they're going to give up the August date. They, they claim they don't use it that much. But and the March seems to be important because of budget setting. That's correct. Yeah. Cadence. Now, you could always consider changing your that part of the process of budget Certainly. setting in order to to uh, reduce or remove the March election. But that seems to be the argument, at least, that, that uh, people are making about the March election is it's important for districts to know the amount of money they're going yep. to have when they start setting their budgets a couple That came up. It came yeah. up multiple times. However, what's interesting is when the bond fails in March, they bring it back in August. And so we're <laughs> like, guys, really? Is that really the case? Yeah. And the other concern is, is running these bonds. You know, it, it fails in March. And so then, hey, we have the opportunity to run it again in May. Oh, hey, we have the opportunity to run it again in August. Um, there was legislation a year or so ago to say it's one and done. If, if you run it, you can't run it again for another year, simply to give the voters a chance to catch their breath and not have to constantly be worrying about is another bond or levy coming um, forward. I mean, we have bonds, levies, supplementals. It, it's, it's difficult at times for patrons and voters to get their heads around yeah. that they are voting on the same thing they saw just five or six months ago. This isn't a new one or vice versa, right? So, so I, I think that there's uh, some wisdom in, in all that, and hopefully the, this bill will make progress in, in that area. Let, let's talk about another one that I think is very interesting, and that is the um, 
uh, talking about the presidential primaries. So uh, kind of walk us through where we're currently at. You've okay. got some bills that have come before you that are going to make adjustments to when Idahoans weigh in on in the primary uh, for uh, presidential elections. I believe it was 2012 when Idaho made the decision to move their presidential primary uh, up up in the primary process. And the argument behind that, I was here when that happened, was, look, if we'll move it up, Idaho's four electoral votes will be really important, and you're going to see, you know, anybody that's running for president, they're going to come to Idaho because we're moved up in that process. Well, the net effect of it is, is it's costing us about $2 million each time we hold that election. The other thing that's happening is you're seeing a decrease in voter turnout in the May primary election, which, as you well know, I would say 70 to 75 percent of our elections are determined in the May primary process. We want as many people turning out as possible. So in order to save the taxpayers money, again, in order to provide predictability and uh, put things on the same election date, we're going to move that back to the May primary election date. So uh, we'll see um, every four years. Mm-hmm. We will see in the May primary the um, the candidates that are running for the different uh, offices of or different parties for for uh, president. Yep. And the thought is, let's get that done this year because we're coming up on a presidential year in 2024. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be a big one. So whoever Trump, DeSantis, whoever your favorite guy is or gal Haley that's running, um, they'll be on your May primary ballot. Wonderful. Um, Let's keep talking about elections, and then then we can kind of shift gears. But uh, there's also some conversations about school board elections, I believe. There are. Um, we had, again, Representative Alfieri has got legislation that's saying, hey, look, if you want to affiliate with a party, you don't have to, but if you want to say, hey, I'm a Republican, or hey, I'm a Democrat, or hey, I'm independent, you have that ability now with legislation that's going to be before my committee. So on the ballot, you would, if they choose to, you would see an R or a D or right. uh, another, uh, uh, they, they can identify themselves. Yep. Um, you know, I think we've talked about this in the past on, on the show, Vic, that when we've had school board candidates on, that uh, for many years, um, uh, these have been considered nonpartisan races. Sure. And really, there was only one party that treated them as nonpartisan, and that was the Republican Party. The Democrats have always leaned in heavily yeah. and, and found candidates, ran them, supported them financially, uh, worked to get out the vote effort. Uh, and, um, and so um, I, I think it's a great idea. We've done that, in uh, Vic, with, with, with our show, and the Republican Party has leaned in, in in the last year or so on these, quote-unquote, nonpartisan races, whether it's for mayor, city council. Council. Um, and um, some of the most important decisions that are made that are going to have the most yeah. immediate effect on your life or happens at the school board, at the at the city council, at the mayors. And, and so we should, we should be very involved in those races. And parents are, the interesting thing that's happening is because what's happened nationally, that you're seeing a lot of this crazy stuff that's being pushed upon our kids in the schools, parents are now becoming much more involved and they're watching what's happening at the local school board level. Uh, I think it was last Monday night I went to the Caldwell School Board meeting uh, where they were going to hear a policy dealing with, you know, how they're going to handle locker rooms and bathrooms and same gender and, and those that are biological males being able to go into a girl's restroom. Well, fortunately, we have legislation that's coming forward to deal with that. And I was able to, to tell the board, look, you don't have to make a decision on this tonight. We've got legislation to deal, deal with that. But those are the type of issues that are coming forward. And as a parent, you've got a you know eight or 10-year-old daughter and you're worried that some biological male is going to end up in her restroom. Yeah, you're going to show up at that school board meeting. I think there were 700 people there. Um, so there is a grassroots effort to get involved. Well, one of the things you can do by allowing people to identify with a party is 
you know that generally they agree with the values and philosophies of that party. And so it will provide some comfort, I think, for some parents. By the way, that Senate Bill 1100 is going to be heard today, which is which we're taping this on Thursday, um, in the Senate Education, which is the bathroom bill, yep. as you kind of what you talk about. So we'll, we'll be following that. Um, another school issue is the School Library Protection Act, mm-hmm. eventually, uh, that's come before uh, your committee. And maybe talk about what that looked like last year and what changes are made to the bill this year. Certainly. To make it more, you know, viable, potentially? I would, I would guess that your listeners have probably heard of last year's bill, House Bill 666. Yes. Um, <laughs> Appropriately numbered. So, uh, interestingly enough, the way that bill was crafted last year, there is an exemption in Idaho law. Currently, it is illegal to handle, uh, to hand a, a minor pornographic material. However, there's an exemption in Idaho law. If you're a librarian and you hand that to a student, a minor, you're, you're exempt from any type of prosecution. Last year's bill said that they could go to jail or be fined civilly. This year's bill just says they could be fined civilly, and that's the difference. There's no jail time. And uh, one, one quick thought on um, the Oregon and Idaho border issue came through your committee. Greater Idaho, yeah, yeah. it did. Um, very interesting. It's just simply to start the conversation with the state of Oregon. There, literally, uh, Eastern Oregon identifies with Idaho, the values of Idaho. That's a good rule, you know, agrarian community over there. They're tired of what's being pushed upon them from Portland, and they're wanting to explore the possibility of joining up with Idaho. So we'll see what happens. Well, uh, Brent Crane, who is in District 13, uh, District Seat A, ninth term, Chairman of the State Affairs Committee, we are always glad to have you on the show. You add so much insight into what's happening here at the State House, and we'll be right back with Keep Idaho Red Radio.